You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake the booties for Black Girl Nerds. Today's episode is brought to you by From Catherine Adele West, the author of Saving Ruby King Come the Two Lives of Sarah, a story of hope resilience, and unexpected love as one young mother finds refuge and friendship at a boarding house in Memphis during the 1960s. The Two Lives of Sarah is available wherever books are sold. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Stacey Yvonne. In this episode, we welcome the writer, director, and producers of the new film, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Sisters, twin sisters, that is, Adama Evo and Adani Evo. The film Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul is a satirical comedy starring Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown, the proud first lady of a Southern Baptist megachurch. She, together with her husband, Pastor Lee Curtis Childs, once served a congregation in the tens of thousands. But after a scandal forces their church to temporarily close, Trinity and Lee Curtis must reopen their church and rebuild their congregation to make the biggest comeback that commodified religion has ever seen. So if you haven't already, check out the Black Girl Nerds website. We actually reviewed this film back when it played at Sundance, and we absolutely loved it. This film is currently playing in theaters. You can also see this on Peacock TV. So we're excited and proud to present to you Adama Ebo, writer-director, and Adani Ebo, the producer of the film Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I saw you beautiful ladies last night yes. at the oh. premiere and y'all are troopers because <laughs> as I was leaving, I was like, oh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. And then I saw the drink orders coming. I'm like, oh, we won't be talking tomorrow. <laughs> so you know what? I'm so happy you should. It, it <laughs> almost didn't happen. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you enjoy the premiere? Oh, it was, it was great. It, it was, was beautiful. So much love and, and it was well received and couldn't have asked for a better premiere. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I want to talk definitely about kind of your background and how we got up to um, Hunk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which of course is your first feature, which is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to know, how did you even get involved, like in terms of film studies and, no. you know, making that your path? Um. Truthfully, I think we yeah, got in, in, yeah we got involved because we were obsessed with like television and film. Like we, we I think we were obsessed with storytelling. Storytelling, we, yeah. We watched TV constantly. We watched movies constantly, but we were also like 
reading books constantly. Yeah. Our our parents did this thing while we were growing up where every Friday um, yeah. they would, after school, after they got home from work, they would take us to uh, Borders Books and Music to get a book and then Blockbuster to get a movie. And then we would just yeah. consume, consume, consume the entire weekend and then we would do it over, and the entire week, and then we would do it over again that next Friday with, with new stuff. Um, and so we were constantly reading, constantly watching TV and movies, but also we're big gamers, and our favorite types of games are RPGs because yeah. they're all about the story. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so I think, in hindsight, this was always going to be the path, like tell, being storytellers in some sense. In hindsight, we were studying story. And in hindsight, we were studying yeah. story, like, um, because, you know, consuming story in all those different ways, there's so much like uh, different types of structures and different types of dialogue that you run into. Um, but it wasn't until I, I got to college that I was like, this is probably more than just a really intense hobby. I should, maybe I should try to actually pursue this. Much to my parents' well, want, dismay. Yeah. Right, I wanted to ask about that, Adani, especially because you went to law school, is that correct? I or yeah, just I went to law school. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, how did that kind of segue then into working with your sister? Uh, she didn't quit when I quit. I think should have. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah, we should have known we weren't going to be apart. Be apart. But um, I think you know, I, I fully went into law school um, wanting to be an entertainment attorney, but then became disillusioned with it and was looking to get on in on the creative side, especially seeing Adama in film school, like being happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and so um, I, I got into it, segued because Adama segued me into it. She was like, why don't you come produce this short film that I'm, I'm making for film school? And, and I did. And that was like the, the inception of our creative relationship on that level. Now, was Honk for Jesus the short film you were working on, or was there a different one? No, it was a, it was a different film, a uh, different short film. The Honk for Jesus oh. was the, the next one. The next one. This was my second year of film. Yeah. It was called, uh, I, I think it's on YouTube or Vimeo or something Somewhere, like, somewhere yeah. yeah. It, it's called Kean Olsen for HOA President, A Mild Inconvenience. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's about this, this white guy who wants to be president of his neighborhood's H HOA, and his world gets turned upside down when, like, a new black neighbor comes in and rivals him, basically. Yeah. That is one thing that we will definitely get to is the relatability to the core. <laughs> there were so many times during this movie that I was triggered. I was like, oh, they tell all of our business. I love it. It was, I was, I was living. But um, in general, I want to talk about kind of uh, just the interest, because I love that you're, you are black women and therefore you have black movies, but they aren't cast into that, that weird space of black movie. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's, there's um, a different kind of relatability to it that more people find universal. Uh, was that something that you were conscious of when you're kind of creating these films or was it just kind of happenstance? No, I think we we're pretty conscious of it. Uh, oh, I'll say this. I think that we didn't think about it when creating, but I think afterwards we were like, oh, this, this is serving a particular type of purpose, and we're into that. Um, I, I, think, I think we have recently, maybe not recently, but we've become very aware of like uh, TV and, and films that are like, black stories and have black characters, 
um, but are, to me, very clearly made for white people. Um, and that's not necessarily what we were interested in. Um, right. White people have so much. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making exactly. stuff for black folks. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's interesting. Nicole Bahari and, and a few other people last night after the premiere, at the after party, came up to say this to me. But Nicole Bahari said it first. And she was like, it really hit me this time watching the movie that there was no white splaining. Yeah. She was like, things, things were just black, and if and some mm-hmm. things were just for us, and like if other folks like didn't understand it. Extremely cultural. They were extremely mm-hmm. cultural and extremely specific. And she was like, and I was around white folks who were like, what is this to mean? What does this mean? And they were like, I don't know, but maybe I'll go look it up. And she was like, yeah, that's what we've been doing our yeah. entire existence, is looking stuff up exactly. that we don't, that we, you know what I mean? Um, and I, we're very used to that. We're big anime fans. We have been since we were like seven years old. And so there's so much about that culture through uh, anime and manga where we were like, well, we don't know what this is, but we learn as we consume. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I don't, we are not interested in making things, I think, palpable. Um, I think people are smart mm-hmm. for the most part. They'll, they'll figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, they'll look it up. It's mm-hmm. fine. Well, one thing that I think you've definitely mastered is that even though you may have these concepts that, you know, people may not understand, that the underlying themes are universal. And so when we're at the end of the day, we're dealing with relationships, we're dealing with people and the things that people deal with every day. I absolutely loved the uh, anime shout out and how you're training to become the next avatar. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. That's my, that's my, that's my love. It's, it's, you know, my top five favorite things on earth. I think Adama's number one. My partner is number two. Avatar is number three. <laughs> oh, I love it. And Adama, I love that on your list was naps. And I felt that um, to my core. <laughs> I, mean, I don't, I. We prophesize naps. Yeah, there's this, this amazing Instagram <sighs> account called the Nap Ministry. Um, and Ooh. I was all about naps even before finding them, but they just like put it into a real like political and sociolo- sociological perspective. I think sp- specifically as it relates to black folks, black and women. It, and black women. Yeah. It's just like, do you. Rest. Mm-hmm. We have we worked so hard in this country for hundreds of years, most of those years for free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take, go lay down. And it's all, it, like, it, we, we, take, we take naps seriously. Like, in, in our home office is a bed because we want to roll from our yeah. desk to the bed when we need to take a nap. I love that. That's, uh, and you can tell, because y'all are glowing. The hair is glowing. <laughs> you know it's what, so but, you beautiful. Know, shout out to our hair and makeup team, because it's uh, this morning was, uh, this morning was a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. But the party was good. The party was good. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's talk about Hunk for Jesus. Now, of course, I know you grew up in Atlanta. And when I first saw the trailer, before really knowing anything about it, and I saw uh, Regina and Sterling... I was like, I know exactly who that is. I know exactly <laughs> who that is. And I was just like, oh no, where are we going? Where are we going with this? And while I was watching last night, there was so, I was telling someone, I was like, it's it's reverent. You know, it's definitely mm-hmm. satirical. It's definitely kind of uh, taking a hard look at like the hard truths behind mega churches and, you know, Christianity as this kind of conglomerate. But it's also reverent because like you were saying, there are positive things, 
we just kind of have to wade through the rest of the mess. Was that kind of your intention when you were putting together this script? A hundred percent. It was our intention, I think, because that's truly how we feel. As, mm -hmm. as people who were like definitely raised in the church and then got disillusioned with it and then let it go for a while and then came back in our own way and and like sort of rediscovered our faith in, in the way that serves us the best. We, mm -hmm. we recognize that like the hard ends of the spectrum are not comfortable or satisfying to live in for us. Yeah. Um, it's, it's recognizing that, you know, while there's so much work to do, while there's, you know, so many critiques to have about organized religion and mm -hmm. institutionalized religion and stuff like that, um, there is so much about it that is beautiful and moving and resonant, and it felt it felt right to convey that in in this story. I think because oftentimes when you get um, critiques or satires or even just hard dramas about these subjects, it doesn't do that. Right. It's just it's just the ugly. Um, right. But then it also felt uh, genuine. It felt true. I think so many people who live and grow up in, in, in these spaces feel that. They feel multiple things at once. And we were like, multiple things can be true at the same time. It just is. People are complicated, they're multifaceted, and um, as, is this, as is this space. I love that there was definitely the message of we need to start talking about these things. We need to really start bringing these things to the forefront, especially when we talk about misogyny, especially when we talk about misogynoir with black women, specifically in the church, how so many times we will be running things, mm -hmm. but the face of the church is, you know, showtime, Absolutely. showtime. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it was chilling, but I, I thought I found a little bit of kismet because I know this wasn't planned, but you have church girl that came out, Beyonce, <laughs> and it matched up so well, not not even necessarily like that it's the same themes, but that they are complementary. Yeah, that There's we're a talking duality. about the way mm -hmm. exactly that women, especially and girls, as mm -hmm. they become women, yep. how their position changes within the church. Tell me about kind of. Um, I know I'm sure it's something that you've thought about, especially when that song came out. Tell me about mm -hmm. kind of the kinship between the two. Well, first of all, shout out to Beyonce for always being on time. Yes. You know, she, right. she always, she always right. Um, Beyonce and the Lord, always, always on time. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I don't even answer this. I, I, <laughs> like, I think, I think, it, I think it just further underscores it, that this is a sentiment that is widely felt. It's widely, it's widely felt. And it's, and I think if it was more, the fact that this sentiment is widely felt, if that in and of itself was more widely embraced, then I feel like people, like generation, the younger generations wouldn't be stepping so far away from the church or feeling like it's yeah. not necessary in our lives anymore um, because it doesn't serve us in the way that it needs to serve us. If we were more transparent and we would embrace the fact that, look, I'm going to, you know, go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to be, you know, I can be thotting and bopping on a Wednesday. It's, it's fine. You know, that's okay. Um, we might we might be in a, the the church in and of itself as an institution might be in a in a different position if it were willing to embrace that duality. Well, I think it's also about you know one of my favorite themes ever is the mind your own business 
edict Child. where it's like there's so many things where it's like if you're not hurting anybody, you know, and you're just having fun, you're just being yourself. But from the time, especially as a girl, I was a church girl all my life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the, the second that you start growing breasts <laughs> or you start getting some hips, then you instantly start being told no. Mm-hmm. And that everything about you innately is sinful yep. and you have to work hard as a woman to fight against that nature. And it's just like, what? It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just over here existing. Okay. I'm just over here existing and growing. I'm just, I can't help that I'm growing. I'm, exactly. <laughs> I'm a human being. And it's, 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 it also becomes our fault. Yeah. It, it, it inherently becomes, one, a point of shame. Like, becoming a woman becomes a point of shame, which I think is weird. Yeah. That's a weird yeah. thing to put on uh, girls, is that, like, you know, once you become a woman, that is inherently shameful. And then it absolves you. the people who are putting that on women and girls. It's like, y'all, you guys are the problem. It's not me just going through puberty. It's you. I was talking with a friend that was like, it would be interesting... So what if we lived in a world where uh, Lee Curtis and Trinity were just besties? We Not talk- married, but they were just besties. They were just best friends, and they were road dogs. I was like, that would work, but we've gotten into this box that they have to be this power couple. Yep. you know. And we kind of see the, um, the flip side of that with, uh, oh, I forget, um, Nicole. Oh, the Sumters. The yeah, Sumters. Nicole The Bahari Sumters, yes, yeah. Pastor and Pastor Sumter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of like it's still kind of that thing but they are the younger version of them and it's funny because they are just slip sliding right towards being them (laughs) but you know it's just like how do you break that cycle (laughs) you know it's funny Um, tell kind of yeah yeah, the idea behind introducing the sumters and what their characters kind of meant to the narrative well one it's funny because we had that exact conversation i think that exact conversation was maybe uh, maybe it was regina regina brought it up she said literally she was like Lee Curtis and Trinity would work really well if they were just best friends. You know, yeah. that that would be like everything. That would it, they would work really well together, but because yeah. they're forcing themselves into this because largely because of their faith and the church and all that, um, we it, it's imploded. Um, but I think with the Sumters, uh, one we were looking for, we were looking to give uh, Trinity and Lee Curtis, like, more tangible antagonist other than the, you know, the looming opening day uh, countdown. Um, And we also wanted to explore this idea, because we're we're millennials, and so now a lot of people that we went to, like, high school and college with, um, like, have gone to divinity school, and they're ministers and, and pastors of their own churches, and we're, we're pretty fascinated by, by how progressive they are in comparison to what we grew up with. Um, and I think and, and I think that uh, kind of like the old guard sees some of that as dangerous <laughs> for the, oh, yeah. the old old guard institution. Yeah. And I think in particular one of the things that we've seen is that is kind of like these they may not be pastor couples, but they have like the, the the wife or the first lady is more or equally in the forefront with, like, she's on stage with the pastor, also doing the sermon and the orating. benediction, and 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 orating and and stuff like that. And when we grew up, we were taught like the women aren't allowed in the pulpit, right. and to have pastor and pastor Sumter have one of the pastors be a woman, and she's firmly in the pulpit. We were like, this is this is 
representative of the new guard coming in. Of a generational shift. Of a generational shift. shift. And thus a cultural shift. Right. And, and, thus a, and thus a cultural shift. And so, um, you know, Lee Curtis and Trinity are shook by that. <laughs> Ooh, and how. <laughs> I, I want to talk all about Nuckus Buck. <laughs> I want to talk everything about that. I, I love them because they are kind of at that... Um, for a while, they called it Zennial, that that Generation X mm. meeting the Millennial Generation, mm-hmm. and those few kind of gap years. And there is something about being there versus being a boomer mm-hmm. versus being, you know, a Zoomer. Mm-hmm. And so you have this couple where they're very young, but they are forced to kind of inherit all of this maturity and responsibility because they're yeah. taking care of this flock. And so you're like, how does a couple like that let loose? How do mm-hmm. they get rid of some of that tension? And it's like, well, we knock if you buck in the caddy. Yeah. You know? Talk to me about kind of that scene and what it meant for you. It, it meant, it, it meant one, I think, showing uh, Trinity and Lee Curtis um, finally being on the same page about something, <laughs> you know? You're like, oh, this is why they're still holding on. This some, Something yeah. does work here. Seeing, seeing where they, it works. They can be a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then it also underscores the thematic that they are literally gearing up for the fight of their lives. Because Nuck If You Buck is a fight song. And so they're fighting to save their church. They're fighting, you know, against the influence of the Sumters. They're fighting to save their marriage. They're fighting to save their marriage. And they're fighting to, you know, kind of engineer this documentary in the direction that they want it to go in. Now, I want to add, so the uh, liturgical, the mind scene mm-hmm. near the end, what made me really laugh about that is that Normally, that's something that is done in front of a still audience. You have the speakers. It's about the music and just all this kind of thing. And so you take that, you put it on a boombox, mm-hmm. and then you take it outside where the sound is just immediately swallowed. Mm-hmm. And you have this person in white face you know, doing these, like, mimes while also trying to hold a sign. Right. There's something so, that desperation, you could just feel it, like, wafting off of them. Um, it felt very much like a, this is the straw. This is what's going to break the camel's back. Mm. Uh, talk to me about getting Trinity to that place. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's getting Trinity to that place, I think, where she will do anything, even if she feels like it's beneath her or humiliates her, to me, wasn't tough when she set up where she comes from. By that, Before that point, we see the scene with her and her mama. And we, we yeah. learned so much about like the church and her relationship to Lee Curtis that she not only uh, believes that it's her responsibility to do everything she can for her family and for this church, um, but that she is probably nothing without it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's gonna, she's gonna do what she has to do um, even if it even if it breaks her, and it it breaks her, mm-hmm. um, she does she does have a breakdown, and I, I thought that praise miming would be um, such a such an interesting way to to get her to that point because uh, it, praise miming I think for me personally or for us it definitely gets you into like 
the uncanny valley a little yeah. bit. You're like, oh, yeah. when you first experience it, you're like, what is happening? Why mimes? Why with gospel music? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I haven't figured it out. No one's been able to really explain it to me. Um, and I mean, I, I want to know if y'all, if somebody knows, please tell me. Let us um, know. Even though we grew up with it, I have, I have no idea what's, what's going on. <laughs> but, but also, it is like these layers of, of masks that she's willing to put on in order right, to right. get to the end of the road. Like, she's constantly putting on a mask when the cameras are on. She's often putting on a mask when she's with Lee Curtis. Um, and now she literally has on a false face. Um, and it's too heavy. Mm -hmm. It's too right. heavy. I love that. Another thing that really kind of helped with the tone and helped with her mental state was the different musical cues, specifically the tambourine. <laughs> and every time you heard the tambourine and the little switch that make, uh, tell me about coming up with that cue and, you know, kind of how it fits into everything for you. Yeah, I think something we talked about, so we, we love um, uh, Fargo, the, both the movie and the, and the television mm -hmm. series. And, and yeah. something I think the series does really, really well is that they use, because Fargo, it's, it's set in Fargo, North Dakota and the surrounding Areas, Midwest, Midwest areas, um, but something, and because of that, there's a lot of snow, and uh, they use like a sleigh bell, and they use a sle sleigh bells to uh, kind of like underscore like the really weird, intense moments, and when the tone, because Fargo is a dark comedy, when the tone is shifting from comedy to something a little more sinister, and vice versa. Um, and so we kept, we were talking about... And it's interesting because sleigh bells are usually synonymous with, like, happiness. With and happiness joy. and joy and, like, right. Christmas time and stuff like that, you know? Um, and so that we wanted something like that for this film. And so we kept saying, like, what is our, what's our sleigh bell? Yeah, what is going to, like, what feels like it's something that's joyous, but if used in the correct way, would feel strange. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we were like... And talking and talking with our um, composer Marcus Norris, um, he first of all is is pretty brilliant. But he was like, um, tambourines feel like exciting or like happy. Like usually when you use the tambourine, it's like okay, I'm I'm getting into it. And he was like, I think a tambourine would be cool, and I think it should just be. But it shouldn't be like a rhythm. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be like rhythmic. It should just be a shake. And it's like, it leaves you wanting more. You're like, mm -hmm. wait, why didn't it finish? It, mm -hmm. it adds to that weird tone and you it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. You're like, it, it's not finishing. It's not doing what tambourines usually do. And that, I think... Uh, adds we, to the uncomfortableness of things. Yeah, and, and the tonal shift. And the tonal shift. And I will say, we, we also made the intentional decision that the tambourine okay. would always be on Trinity. It would always start mm -hmm. on Trinity. Yeah. So whenever you hear the tambourine, it's it, it only ever happens. It's when motivated by Trinity. It's motivated by Trinity. And I absolutely loved it. And I absolutely love this movie. I'm going to watch several more times. I already <laughs> anticipate it. Taking all my folks with me. Oh, we Thank appreciate you, it. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. I could talk with you for hours more about this fantastic first feature. I'm still blown away that it's your first feature. But I, the bar is high. All right. So I can't wait for the next one to Ooh. get even better. No pressure. And, no, and pr right? no pressure. Y'all got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> the Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax and Ryan Bennett. 
The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify.